The tendency is to look at the leader as somebody who has all the solutions, all the answers. Mm-hmm. Culture and social behavior has big consequences for businesses, but we often overlook it because it's too complex and multidimensional to analyze. What is culture? It's simply the way we do things here. The behaviors, beliefs, values, symbols that we all accept without even thinking about them. Geographies, organizations, companies, families, friendships, all has unique cultures. And it is just like the air we breathe in. It's there and it's a major life force, but it's invisible, which makes it very interesting, but also complex. And our key objective for the podcast is to bring clarity to this complex matter through our conversations with our amazing guests and decode culture for business success. Welcome to the Culture and Podcast, where we connect business to human behavior. brand and culture expert and your host and today we're going to talk about culture and leadership we call them leaders because they will choose to sacrifice so that their people may be safe and protected i define a leader as any person who holds themselves accountable for finding the potential in people and processes you need to feel like you're making a difference believe in the dream the aspiration believe in the journey that we're all on to be run by ideas Today I am joined by someone who embodies the word leadership for me. I had the chance to know him closely, learn from him and get inspired by him as a leader. He is the former executive regional director for Leo Burnett and chief operating officer at Publicis and he currently serves advisory roles at multiple firms. He is also the co-founder and my partner and the CEO of Tough Love Advisors and a fellow certified executive coach. Please welcome Kemal Dimachki. Thank you, Nurture. <laughs> welcome, Kemal. Thank you so much for joining. It's the first episode and I'm very happy um, to be able to host you. I'm delighted uh, to be with you and I'm honored to be your first uh, host and I uh, wish you good luck with the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, so I would like to start with your experience, Kemal, in terms of um, in the bigger picture, because when we are looking at culture, it's the big picture is actually the geographic cultural elements. And you yourself had been in different leadership roles in different parts of the world, from North America to Europe to Middle East, very different parts of Middle East. Um, I had a very funny incident when I first moved to China. Um, I started trying to do brainstorming and I tried to involve the team and they were just like staring at me. And a mentor of mine told me, you, you shouldn't be asking questions. You shouldn't be giving answers to earn the respect as a leader. And that wasn't welcomed by the team at the beginning. So they didn't really appreciate me uh, giving them a voice at the time until the, the point that you actually respect, gain their respect by showcasing that you have the answer. Then I got interested by it and then um, I found out that there is research that speaks about leadership in different geographies, the decision making, the communication, And very interestingly, the dark side of leadership can vary based on geographies. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience in being a leader in different parts of the world? Uh, 
Um, the journey has been obviously very interesting and um, it continues to be a journey of education and learning. And what is interesting is that obviously when you change geographies, like leaving the GCC or a specific country within the GCC and going all the way to the US and mm -hmm. a specific place in the US, the change is like dramatic. Not only are you shifting in distance and time, but you're shifting in environment and, and atmosphere. What I also found that is very interesting is while the world refers to this part of the world as the Middle East, mm -hmm. this is a term that has been coined in the U.S. by a U.S. naval officer back in the early 1900s. Okay. okay. And I understand why it was coined, because it reflects um, an attempt to place a whole blob of geography into mm. one container, whereas you come here and actually this container has many, many different, different compartments true. that communicate. So leadership in the Levant would be, and its dynamics would be very different to the way it is practiced here. And therefore the effect on culture is very, very different. You have a region that is quite diverse. So parts of it have uh, a feudal background. Another part is tribal. A third is, uh, I don't know, nomadic. Mm -hmm. And why, when we fast forward to today, we notice that um, organizations, particularly Western organizations, have infused the culture with management approaches, but you still have the local cultural dynamics. So you're constantly are operating in a reactive and dynamic environment. That's very true. It's a living thing, right? So there is no one solution. Culture is always living and always changing, always evolving. Uh, but to your point, it's just very interesting to see that within that context of Middle East, there are so many important differences. Absolutely. And if you zoom further in into a place like the UAE and Dubai, which has like about 200 different nationalities and you have um, concentrations of certain cultures that are not originally Arab, yet they interact with an Arab context, uh, an Arab context that was colonized and uh, an Arab context which is today very open to not only Western but uh, global influences. So cultural the culture in the workplace will differ really based on a lot of things taken into account such as um, obviously the concentration of the talent in a particular workplace uh, their backgrounds um, the the mother company itself what culture does it promote and cultivate um, you have also the local environment uh, which may have bearing. So you have a lot of things that uh, uh, come to bear on, on the culture and define a particular flavor or slant of it. That's very true. That's one of the things what, uh, what makes culture so almost difficult to tackle. Um, but from a leadership point of view, uh, I think you made a very uh, valid point. UAE itself 
with the intense and extreme diversity um, uh, that it carries in the workplace, like every aspect of it as well. Um, do you have any tips for uh, leaders uh, in the UAE in, um, to manage that diversity, to bring that leadership across? Um, sure. Uh, in the context of this region, uh, we and for those of us who were brought up in the region, we have a particular way of uh, regarding and relating to our leaders. So uh, I come from a generation where the power was firmly concentrated with the elders. You know, mm -hmm. with authorities, with systems, with organizations. So you related in a particular way to your elders. You, in school, you listened, you didn't talk back. Uh, you entered the workforce, you bring all of this baggage so and conditioning with you. Um, so this is a, cult, a region that is um, so in, in the middle of dramatic change to start with. Um, and the tendency is to look at the leader as somebody who has all the solutions, all the answers. Mm -hmm. And that context, in my opinion, breeds an environment uh, or cultivates an environment where ego naturally springs and develops and takes hold and is in the driving seat. So you're no longer just dealing with... Um, a particular concept and expression of leadership, you are also dealing with, if you will, um, a cultural consideration, and you have to cater to that if you want to advance. Now, that can be dialed up or dialed down depending on the situation you are in. Uh, but to bring it full circle and back to your question, what advice would I give? I would say... Um, Observe one of the fundamentals for leadership, which is to remain humble. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more anchoring than humility in a leader. And humility by default means that you as a leader may have experience, but certainly do not have all the answers. And you stand to gain um, from remaining open to different perspectives. And that openness can create a culture of openness can create a culture of uh, motivation, um, can create a culture of desire to learn, to progress, a culture where wherever we are, no matter how successful we are today, we are A, not at the finish line, and B, um, this status can be fleeting, meaning we have it today, we may lose it tomorrow. So you need to constantly remain open to the fact that something new may come. What, up, what didn't apply yesterday may apply in three days from today. So this humility plus openness mean a great deal and are phenomenal signals. Mm. And the last bit is... Uh, and I don't know where the conversation will take us today. We may touch on it or not. I think once you talk to, about leadership, you should not, one would not, um, you wouldn't want to miss the fact that you have to model the way. So there is mm. a lot of modeling and um, 
leading by example. Yeah, walking the talk, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, so ultimately, humility, openness and walking the talk coexist. It and does. You, if, if you want the, a healthy environment, if you want a healthy culture, there's nothing more powerful than for a leader to embody these, these uh, dynamics and these values. Mm-hmm. So openness, humility and walking the talk, uh, as we say, I, I, would, I would say not only for UA or Middle East, but I would say maybe these are the uh, beyond culture dynamics that every leader who wants to have a build a healthy culture needs to embody. Sure. But we live on planet Earth. Yes. And the reality is that while this ideal is highly desirable and actually quite romantic to think about, to talk about and to practice, um, reality often shows us examples that are very, very dramatically different. And where the consideration set puts all of these uh, aside and different approaches are uh, are adopted like people who not only like to lead from the front but like to lead from you know top down um and that obviously breeds a totally different environment and i'm sure we'll talk about that yeah on that point uh, i want to ask um your definition because there is a new buzzword uh, especially i would say since COVID. Uh, there is a lot of awareness uh, what that um, work environment is like and how people start uh, acknowledging the value of their life, acknowledging the value of their self and their needs and purpose and a lot of very interesting personal uh, conversations or personal awareness started that reflected on culture in general and culture in the workplace. And there is this new buzzword that everybody speaks about, the toxic culture. Um it has many different meanings, in my opinion. It's uh, it seems uh, different dynamics, uh, but I want to hear from you a little bit. Like, um, what is your definition of a toxic culture? When does a culture becomes toxic? Um, it's a very good question. The word "toxic" in itself is fascinating. So, if you were to check its definition, um, toxicity or toxins are organic matter that are produced by the body itself. So this is not an outward uh, an, uh, an outward influence. Okay, it's self-generated, and that's when your body starts acting in a different way, unhealthy way, in response to triggers in its own chemistry. Mm-hmm. Okay, unlike poison, which is an external component that gets injected into a body. Toxins are self-generated. So if you take that definition and work with it from... That's very interesting, actually. A chemistry point of view, okay, look at an organization as a body. Mm -hmm. When you have toxicity, it means that you have something unhealthy that is starting to be generated internally. And also killing you, isn't it? Like actually harming you. It is harming you, certainly. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily killing you, but obviously if you don't do anything about it, sooner or later you are going to, you know, hit a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. And 
these things tend to start from very simple, basic things. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the absence of health toxicity or the erosion of health um, can be because of bad modeling or inconsistent modeling, uh, can be due to a leader saying one thing, doing something else, can be because of uh, somebody being economical with the truth or mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. misleading or uh, um, preaching one thing um, and behaving selectively in its application. All of these things that sometimes need not necessarily be picked up as hard, firm, concrete examples, but you start feeling in your gut as a, as a member of that organization. Mm-hmm. And the f- your first reaction is perhaps to brush it aside, but with consistency, you stop brushing it aside and you notice a trend. And that trend, depending on the environment that is cultivated, if it's an environment where free speech is encouraged and promoted, you may uh, talk openly about it. But toxicity normally rarely ever starts from one place. So you've got a number of dynamics working together. So with inconsistency, with power plays, uh, come a subtle spirit of intimidation. So you start seeing little things indicating a beginning of a breakdown, right? Mm-hmm. And and that breakdown perhaps is initially expressed internally by people losing respect. Yeah, um, and also even worse, resignation, right? So, so people giving up. So, yeah. So when you, you get to a stage where people are resign, uh, start to resign, Essentially, the statement that is being made is, A, I am not aligned with that. I don't like it. I do not identify with it. I have either tried to do something about it or I feel I am powerless to do something about it. But I feel that I am withering and no longer blossoming in such an environment. And it is unhealthy for me. A part of me is a perhaps under attack and is suffocating okay uh just between brackets at one point in time in reaction to a dramatic change in my career i woke up one day um, and when i went to the office and i was talking to one of my mentors i said look i'm looking at myself in the mirror and i cannot recognize myself and that scared me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and my mentor was shocked. So when you are in a situation where you find that you're starting to not recognize yourself in a particular environment uh, and are powerless to change it, then it is quite natural that you may want to leave because that is an expression for uh, of a desire to survive. And, and to thrive. So yeah, toxicity will create that. Okay, so uh, it's interesting. I don't know if you've read The Life of Pi. There's a phenomenal uh, passage early on in the book which talks about uh, why animals migrate. Hmm. And normally when we think about it, 
animals, we think, we, we tend to expect that animals migrate because they're going to a better place. Um, but that is false. Animals migrate because they are running away from something. Yeah. So it's not the attraction sure, of better. Yeah, it is the, the repulsion of, of, of worse. Yes. And when people leave organizations, you, you have the equivalent of animal migration during the seasons. Something's bad is happening and I need to move away from it. Otherwise, it won't be good for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. Um, so in terms of the toxic environment, one of the key things that is um, comes to my mind is um, communication style, relationships, power dynamics, and uh, risk, risk-taking. Um, when we look at those four pillars, um, what would you recommend to leaders to kind of, because I mean, it's clearly the toxic culture, as people call it, uh, leads to migration of workforce and a lot of uh, lost opportunity and productivity. Um, what should they watch out to make sure that um, this doesn't happen to them as a leader? Um, I think people can only be who they are and who they desire to be. Oh, we can. Okay. That's the second part got me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what that says, that talks to authenticity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And that connects back to what we discussed earlier, which is walking the talk. Walking the talk for me is not just about leadership by example, but about embodying a certain set of values, aligning yourself with them, and living them. So I think as a leader, first of all, you need to be self-centered and aligned. Number two, you need to communicate very transparently. Okay. Uh, And that level of transparency, you need to take note of the impact it is having. So you need to constantly assess. When a plane comes to land, there is constant communication between its instrument and ground. And that communication is fundamental because the, the aircraft is sending signals that I'm approaching and I'm about to land. And by taking the response to these signals, the reflections, if you will, is a plane and a pilot able to land safely. Ignore these signals and the aircraft will crash. Okay. So you as a leader, first of all, I think when it comes to communication, it's important to be transparent. It's important to be consistent. It's important to own up because communication is also a, a manifestation and an expression of behavior. So that communication needs to be consistent with that. And at the same time, I think you need to remain very open um, to what you're seeing and hearing around you. So getting the signals and being able to act on them and, in and, the moment. Yeah, and acting on recognizing the impact. So 
there were instances uh, over the years when I would call for an all-hands meeting, a town hall, call it whatever you you want, and I would be addressing points that are were important to the organization mm-hmm. as escalated to me by a variety of people. So ultimately, most of these conversations were about uh, what we are dealing with, not only as a business, but for the people and impacts them. And I realized uh, in a number of instances, you know, some people were starting to start wondering with their with their looks, you know, looking mm-hmm. elsewhere, somewhere on their phones, uh, somewhere um, disengaged. And I, I realized as a leader that it is my responsibility to do something about it. It is true that I walked in, everybody is clear on what the subject of the conversation is about. It's clear uh, its level of importance. Yet as I was delivering the communication, I realized that, hey, I am not capturing everybody in the way I desire. And if I continue and persist along that path, I'm going to lose them and I will fail to deliver the message that is important for them. Yes, you can argue. They could lose. But as a leader, you know, I am the captain of that ship. It's Mm -hmm. my responsibility. It starts and ends with me. So this recognition, which is why I spoke about humility in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I could argue that I'm the leader I have to be listened to. That's not how life works. It's Mm -hmm. not how business works. This is not how people work. This is not how human beings work. Yes, true. So those unspoken cues and messages, Mm -hmm. especially when you have the chance to get that observation, is very important for a leader to capture and just make sure that they don't miss those cues because even not saying anything is a communication, isn't it? Or not being uh, acting, uh, engaged is a communication that most of the time we, it's very easy for a leader to kind of overlook it and not take it uh, into consideration to act on it. True. So what is interesting is along my journey, I noticed a number of leaders who will actually gather people and talk at them. Mm-hmm. They would lecture them okay. as if they were instructors and their team members were students. That's very interesting. Talk at them, not talk to them. Yeah. And, you know, increasingly, and I, I also wish to admit that I was also very conscious of the fact that I look very, very serious, you know. If I have a focused look, it looks mm. potentially intimidating. And that's not how I want to be. This is not how I am on the inside, you know. I like to crack jokes. I like to have uh, easy conversations. Yes, I'm curious. I want it to be intellectually stimulating. But ultimately, I am engaging with people because of the fact that we're both going to grow as a result of that exchange. And I decided that... I shall have conversations with my people. And I would try and prepare for it in a way to generate a response. And whenever you get like 150, 200 people together in a room, my experience has been that very few would actually raise their hands. There's something intimidating or disrupting that uh, return of communication. 
and I would figure out ways every time, work very hard to make sure that I engage them. Mm-hmm. Okay, by the use of humor, by the use of specific cues that matter to some, but perhaps not to all, to start, you know, chipping at that wall and allow a bit of water or light to to come out mm-hmm. and then chip some more and furthermore and on and on until everybody or perhaps not everybody but until a considerable number of people relax and a new vibe uh, permeates the room um on that note actually one of the key things when we speak with um leaders we want to underline is um it's life and when we're speaking about organizations it's thousands of people sometimes and it's it's very almost a part of the normal life that there will be a certain level of what we call now toxicity or the bad apples and and all that um but what is important what i'm hearing from you what you're describing is kind of taking intervals to detoxify or reconnect on the way until the problem becomes so big that is there is no return from there so with every big meeting or every kind of uh interaction that you're talking is actually opening that path again to clear up going to a detoxifying moment for the organization so maybe we have to be also realistic there will be a certain level of um, tension, a lack of communication and all that. But there has to be, or it's leader's responsibility to realize, acknowledge and act on it. What a brilliant observation. Uh, it's interesting. Until now, I had never thought about it. But hearing you talk about it strikes me as a fundamental law of life let me expand Mm. Um, the heart heart of any living organism works and rests works and rests there's a certain cadence but even if you uh, strain the heart it'll continue to work and rest Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. okay another example We sleep. Why do we sleep? The reason behind sleep is a biological need to detoxify the brain. And it's a chemical process that takes anywhere between seven to eight hours, which is why you need to sleep that long regularly. Mm -hmm. And if you are not, you are paving the way for problems down the road speaking of toxicity, and can result in a lot of maladies that increasingly science and medicine are connecting to sleep. Perhaps not the only reason, but a major Major contributor, right? Look at nature. Um, Forests, greenery, produce oxygen, so releasing a benefit, and pulling in carbon dioxide. So there are two sides to it, two handles to life, to if you will. To everything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. To, to organic matter. Mm-hmm. And I think 
if we take our cues from nature or from the universe around us, what you're saying is the absolute truth. Yes, it's not enough to impart, but it's also important to detoxify, to clean up all the time. Even if you don't see dust settling, there is dust. There is, yeah. Okay, so clean it up. Find the mechanisms that help you as a leader to keep the environment fresh and clean. And quite honestly, apart from it being hard work, there is something that precedes it, is the need for awareness. Because as a leader, I have never been taught to do that. Hmm. I didn't have somebody mentoring me or uh, sharing their experience that this is how it works. It doesn't mean that I have been wronged. I think the collective body of management's knowledge was not at that stage. But today we are increasingly more aware. And if anything, COVID has accelerated and spiked the need to be more aware. The awareness of other things than, you know, running flat out five days a week, God knows how many hours, often missing on weekends and holidays, missing family, missing a lot of what uh, energizes you to deliver um, business outcomes. Mm, I actually hear a couple of very interesting points in your last sentence, very inspiring. But one of the things that I want to kind of pick from there, that you were saying that you didn't have a coach, you didn't have a mentor. Um, it's always very surprising to me, even to this day, especially in the region, especially in the UAE, uh, I don't see many leaders having coaches. I don't see many leaders accepting the idea of coaching, accepting the idea of mentoring. I would even uh, always go for coaching uh, more than mentoring as a leader. Um, but we see in uh, sports world, all elite athletes have coaches, not one, but many. And that's kind of a normalized approach to go the extraordinary success because what the coaches does for athletes as well, they watch from outside, they observe the environment, they observe the com uh, competitor, they observe the athlete and give that very valuable awareness and recognition of what is what can be done differently and just creating that climate to improve. But um, leadership leaders doesn't seem to have that uh, luxury, need, awareness. Where is the gap? Um, uh, this is a fascinating topic and I'm sure we can dedicate a complete Completely. podcast uh, <laughs> session to it. Uh, thank you for asking the question. Look, Ultimately, uh, you're absolutely right. In the sports world, coaching is par for the course. You do not in get involved in any sports activity without some form of a coach, coach. being around you. Yes. Okay? Professional athletes will work very hard, pay top dollar to make sure they are collaborating with a coach that um, aligns well with them yeah. and that, that can help them develop and grow so what is interesting about this is first of all you've got an established practice you see i'm perking up here you've got an established practice uh number two you have a rec a basic recognition by the athletes that they need to uh, uh they need to embark on a journey and that journey involves 
continuous evolution, continuous motion, continuous development. Uh, otherwise, it becomes like sitting on a bike and not pedaling. What's going to happen to you? You're going to fall. Yeah? Or maybe lean on the ground, put a foot on the, on the ground. Uh, so that is in as far as coaching in, in the sports universe. Uh, but coaching for business and for non-athletic purposes is reasonably new. It's about like 30 years old or so. All right. Depending on where you are in the world, you will find that the business environment is much more developed and open to this concept. Okay. So my experience has been that it is uh, starting to come into its own in North America, True. where there's a, quite a lot of leadership and uh, pioneering in, in the area of coaching. And we're starting to see small pockets of it in this part of the world. Yeah. Well, what do you think is stopping the leaders? I mean, just to um, overcome their thoughts that are kind of blocking them to get that support, because honestly, that's even a, another conversation. But leadership is quite a lonely place. Terribly lonely. It is a lonely place. And um, and we, if you have time, we'll talk about the servant leadership, which we both share uh, from a vision point of view. And we, uh, I, I know you embody it extremely strongly as well. But it's a very lonely place to be by nature. And actually that lack of um, support to create those awarenesses. Because when we're talking about everything around leadership, it all starts from first and foremost being aware. Being aware what's going on wrong, being aware that where the bottlenecks in the organization are, and that awareness requires that kind of a reflection partner, where is a safe place to really um, create self-awareness and and uh, environmental awareness. But there is a bottleneck in this part of the world that it's not okay. It's almost a weakness to have a coach. So it, it's interesting. It, uh, I think the choice of the word awareness is spot on. For me, awareness covers a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, being a leader does not mean you're the master of the universe. It's number one. This is, I think, a first level of awareness. Right? It is true. Yeah. Being a leader simply means you have a responsibility and an obligation, not only towards shareholders, okay, but primarily to the people who enable the shareholders to thrive, right? So you've got that awareness. So by default, if you will, you, you, need, um, you need this awareness that if I am their leader, I am, I am actually their servant, to use uh, mm -hmm. your expression. Number two, I think like uh, many uh, developments that start somewhere, this ripple effect is going to require time to reach further and further away from the center, okay? We've seen it with fashion, we see it with uh, brands, we see it with, uh, you know, uh, organizational uh, approaches, we see it with a lot of things. So part of it is that, but I think also the notion of, uh, not the notion, coaching itself is going to require, will require to overcome a big hurdle which is for um, Middle Eastern leaders 
to become aware of the need that if they want to sustain good performance and generate even better performance, they need somebody to hold the mirror to them. Mm -hmm. They need an outside perspective. And it's not common practice here. I have, in my experience, I haven't seen many uh, heads of organizations who will genuinely come and say, come, can you spare me 15 minutes? I'm thinking of this. What do you think? I did this. It's not sitting comfortably with me. What observations can you share with me? But that's that's very good. It almost goes back to the very beginning of our conversation, where it's all it, connected. It is. It is not. It is not okay as a leader to not know the answer. Maybe in this part of the world, everybody also has that notion, or uh, almost a prerequisite. If you're the leader, you need to rather know the answer, or that will take us to another point. Do not show vulnerability, which then opens up a different part. Showing vulner being vulnerable or showing uh, that you're vulnerable as a leader is actually an extreme tool to connect to the teams. Actually, extreme tool to overcome that definition of toxicity, being open, being real, authentic. Uh, to your teams and ask their support when you're being their servant. But it's, again, I would say, um, not so easy for the for the region. Uh, I, so there are two points here. Uh, certainly, uh, you have the point about vulnerability, and I'll touch on it. Um, and the first one about having all the answers. What I would say is that Um, this is a part of the world where face matters. Mm -hmm. Okay. I know this is not the, the Far East, and I understand how face works in that context. What has never been addressed or talked about, and if it has, um, if it has, then I'm not aware of it, is how important face is and loss of face to people in this part of the world, it is. So in tribal and feudal environments, you need to be careful because, you know, it's like walking into a minefield. So if you're able to remove, peel that away, yeah, um, I think, and train, uh, people who are aspiring to lead people or make them aware that this has nothing to do with that. This is about a totally different construct. And actually, this new construct where you are much more aware, where you're sensitive uh, to the impact you are having, where you need to take these cues and factor them into your human algorithm so to speak what is ai you know if not its ability to take input try improve and and continue that uh, um, uh, virtuous cycle yeah so if we if we emulate that then i think you're onto something the other thing is vulnerability i think you're absolutely right so i grew up in an environment which were where uh, as a male or as somebody in charge, you didn't show 
emotion you didn't uh, and that is uh, wrong to say actually you didn't show sadness you didn't uh, you didn't express it so i remember loss, losing my father at the age of 23 and at the end after we had buried you know a much older cousin than myself comes and taps me on the shoulder saying you did good by not crying he didn't say that but i rec- i remembered that i walked very stoically you know mm-hmm. i didn't let my emotions betray me uh and betray you is also a very interesting word to yeah, say that sure i didn't allow them to come out come out yeah. actually when not i think that you didn't have them you didn't allow them it's actually i did out. not even experience them okay. so to to explain the level at which uh some societies will will suppress these suppress, things yes. yeah uh so fast forward 30 40 years later people who have been brought up in such environments and uh, cultures become hardwired and in fairness this notion of vulnerability i started genuinely experiencing during covid because the overriding uh, drive in me uh, while not losing sight of the fact that i was a hired employee and have obligations to management and to shareholders and the need to meet uh, uh, KPIs i could not ignore the human dynamic that i saw unfolding in front of it in front of me so my expression was a very human expression i started catering for uh, what made people feel better so that they can to start with continue living and navigate through a massive disruption and a black swan and i realized that a number of instances i had to propose suggestions to them which enabled us to shield the general population and these expressions on my part were highly emotional mm-hmm. so and that was unusual for me Okay yeah? so kind of So and and what it produced and that is what stuck with me is a phenomenal rallying around me mm-hmm. and that there was like a light bulb going on i mean not even a light bulb like a new sun in my life incredible saying wow it is powerful and it's working it's authentic for the and it is true mm-hmm. you know and my god i didn't realize that and people started reacting very differently to me you know and and that was a massive moment of awakening mm. that came from visceral hard experience you know when you make such ma- dramatic u turns in your career and life they don't happen by accident they are potentially the result of an accumulation potentially that accumulation aligning with who you are but certainly they required some sort of a catalyst at one point in time we need to catalyze more and more leaders to the power of vulnerability yes to the force of authenticity See. that come and to busting the myth that being vulnerable does not equate weakness it's just the opposite being vulnerable yeah, it's a, a superpower power uh and strength to be able to open up and i think more and more gen z coming to the workforce 
they will demand vulnerable, authentic, strong leaders and not leaders kind of hiding behind their titles to bring them best uh, best selves to the workforce. But that's already, again, a conversation uh, on its own. Before we close, one last question. Um, can you tell us one big lesson or a failure uh, of your incredible journey as a leader um, to implement the right, the best culture uh, for the organization? Um, luckily, I have a lot of failures. I've had quite a few. Uh, and luckily, uh, I uh, learned the hard way. But more importantly, I was blessed in having had a number of uh, chances. Early on in my leadership journey, I was so hell-bent on delivering results that I would literally take no prisoners. I wouldn't accept anything. And my reaction was, uh, I'm embarrassed to say today, was uh, dramatic and almost uh, violent. Yeah, I would get really worked up and I would not hesitate to let my emotions show. That's the dark side of leadership. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I... Uh, when I think back, I would ask myself, how can two people exist in the same body and mind? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but to my f good fortune, um, a number of the people that I was aggressive with seemed to understand where it came from. Mm -hmm. And my career evolved in a way where I got... Uh, stretches of time during which I would think and reflect and reconcile and get the opportunity to decide how I want to show up. With time, a lot of mistakes and experience, I learned that there's got to be a better way. Mm -hmm. And for me, the massive realization, the biggest lesson is the better way is by being true to who you are. Yeah. And understanding that, like me, everybody else is fighting battles that we don't know about. And the ma major learning for me as a leader is not to allow this halo and shadow of leadership to obscure the fact that, you know, when you work with an intern, when you work with somebody who is significantly younger than you and a junior to you, be mindful of impact. Recognize where they are at in their journey because at one point in time, that's where exactly I was. Huh? Yes. And bring them along. Mm -hmm. And that created a dramatic shift in my, in my approach. I uh, learned that if I am unhappy with something never to express it against the person who was delivering the goods but to depart from a point that this individual has done their best and by doing their best all they could get me is this now it is incumbent upon me as a leader and my responsibility to take that opportunity and turn it into a fascinatingly 
engaging educational one where we get a better product, they can see a pathway to that betterment and they would enjoy it along the way. And uh, what I'm happy with is that I was able to pull that out to manifest that behavior in the trickiest and uh, most pressured of times. So I'm not saying I'm done. I mean, this will always be a work in progress, but I mean, yeah, if you are able to maintain, I wouldn't say control because control for me would be the wrong word. It means Mm -hmm. there are forces raging to come out. Mm -hmm. But if you're able to maintain that harmony and tranquility in the face of like massive professional typhoons, then I think you're on to something interesting. Yeah, but that's easier said than done. And I'm not suggesting it is easy. Uh, And for me, you know, this is a part of the journey uh, of mastery. You need to be comfortable spending a lot of time on the plateau, practicing, rehearsing, doing over and over, even the basic things, because then they become hardwired. And whenever there is a rise in the journey, then you are better prepared. Then it's a good breakthrough. Kemal, thank you so much. Uh, I think it was very interesting and it it was a great pleasure for me to have this conversation eye to eye with you. Uh, But before we close, we have a little fun part that I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions and um, just one word answers. Let's have fun then. Yes. Zoom or Teams? Ah, Zoom. Agency side or client side? Agency side. Mac or PC? Mac. Brainstorming or question storming? Don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Multinationals or startups? Startups today. Coffee or energy drink? Coffee. Instagram or TikTok? If I have to choose Instagram. One favorite quote? Um, One favorite quote. A smooth sea doesn't make a skillful sailor. Oh, very good one. Learning or knowing? Learning, always. Horse riding or squash? That is unfair. (laughs) (laughs) Horses. I know you too well. Horses? Absolutely, horses. What is one leadership secret you didn't tell anyone? You didn't tell, you didn't give us that secret in this podcast. One leadership secret? uh, Make your people feel good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gemma. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for all the amazing insights. It was a pleasure. And I do believe that you're going to bring me and this podcast into us a lot of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks, Nurchin.